Hello. Uh, welcome to the Flower Pod, the podcast for the National Botanic Garden of Wales. My name is Bruce Langridge, and over the next year, I'm going to be talking to members of staff, people I work with, um, to think about what is a botanic garden. And uh, we've been going now for 21 years, it's our 21st birthday this year. And one of the best people I can think to speak to about this is our curator, Will Ritchie, who I've been working with for the past five years and who has been um, regularly sort of saying maybe people don't really know enough about what is a botanic garden. And uh, this year we're going to be putting a bit of a push on it. So, hi Will. Hi Bruce. Uh, I've got a few questions for you Will. So we're going to be speaking today for about half an hour and uh, it's not formal at all. I just kind of want to get a bit of a feel from someone who has a real passion for it. I know you you love your botanic gardens. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit, just just from the start, about just tell me a little bit who you are and just wait on what you do, just very briefly. Yeah, so um, I've worked in botanic gardens for a long time now. So um, after training in horticulture, my very first uh, job was with the National Trust in Scotland. But I soon went off to the Royal Botanic Gardens Edinburgh, which is a very special place to me. I went from a very young age. I used to go with my grandfather quite a lot. So Botanic Gardens have always been part of my life and growing up and going there with school and going there with university, of course. So for me, it's been quite uh, a natural transition into working in Botanic Gardens. I have come to know their value and really value them myself and value what they're doing around the world. So that's what I'm keen to do here in Wales is communicate that value and try and bring that to communities and plants around Wales. Okay, so most people when they they think about coming here, uh, they look at the title and the title is quite a long title. It's always, we we think from a marketing point of view here, it's quite a long title, the National Botanic Garden of Wales. It's not got a a snap to it. But we, um, there's a few, but there's elements of that I think that are worth really reflecting on. First of all, being a national institution is really important. I think we can come back to that in a minute. But the difference between a garden and a botanic garden, can you give me just a fit? There's not always a real, there's not always a dictionary definition, or is there? No, of course. So when you think about a garden, if you think about your own garden, you know, what is the objectives there? So you could be growing it because you want to grow food. Or you could be growing just a nice aesthetic space, a space that you feel comfortable in, that has beautiful colours. So it's a a display. It's a way for you to engage with that space and engage with plants. Now the difference with a botanic garden is that we hold documented collections. So each and every plant in our collection has a plant record behind it. And that has a plethora of data. So we can tell you its DNA sequences. We can tell you where it was collected from in the wild. We can tell you which other botanic gardens it's been in before. And using that data, using that information to its best use, to really get the utility out of it, we can share that with researchers or conservation practitioners or make it available for education. So I would say the difference between a public garden that is more display-focused more ornamental, and a botanic garden is the utility of our collections, having the data associated with each of those plants so that we can use it for conservation, education, research, and display. Okay, and just on a, on a real pedant level here, we often get that people call this a botanical garden. Does that make any difference? Is that a, 
Is that a thing? It's actually probably just more of a cultural thing. So in the United States, they often use botanical garden or gardens. And in the UK, it seems to be botanic garden. Now, some people will call Edinburgh Botanics the botanics. Uh, so I think it is just a cultural abbreviation. But it doesn't really matter. Both of them are doing the same thing. We both have the same aims and goals. And that's the nice thing about botanic gardens is a commonality in what botanic gardens do all around the world. Okay, but I'm going to pick you up a little bit on that one, Will, because being a modern botanic garden, as being only 21 years old, we have a kind of, um, our aims are different from what, for instance, Kew and Edinburgh and Glasnevin in Ireland would have been set up for. Can you tell, explain that, what the differences might be from the start and maybe what they are today? Yeah, of course. So botanic gardens have really been on a journey of what their purpose is. So if you go back to some of the earliest types of botanic gardens, they, they evolved independently in many places. So you had teaching gardens in China, you had the paradise gardens in Islam that were used for teaching as well, and you also had these physics gardens. And the physics gardens developed at universities in Europe. So early Italian universities had these, these gardens that were dedicated to the teaching of medicine and botany. So education came first. Now when um, empires were being developed, there was also colonial botanic gardens that were taking in plants from around the world and trying to describe them and trying to find their uses. But now as a modern botanic garden, our role is quite different. So what we want to do here is we want to make sure that we are using our collections in an equitable way to ensure the best utility for conservation education research. So we are a conservation charity and everything we do here is geared towards the common good of plant diversity. So that has changed across the board. All botanic gardens are very much on that um, on that journey now and they're all trying to do their best for conservation but it has been different in the past and if you go to Calcutta or Singapore Botanic Garden or the Royal Botanic Gardens Kew in Edinburgh they do have a colonial past that was more economic in their uh, in their philosophy. And, and a few of them are really sort of looking closely at what their colonial past is as well. Over the last year of the Black Lives Matter they've really started to think about this and probably got a bit of a panic on it, maybe in places. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, so botanic gardens are very much in a similar position to museums and art galleries. We need to be able to be reflective and look at our collections and think about what the ethics of our collections are. Now, one of the great things about the National Botanic Garden of Wales was that this was a botanic garden that was established after the Convention on Biological Diversity. So a lot of those ethics, a lot of those principles of conserving the world's flora or working for the common good of plant diversity, working with partners to create equitable partnerships around the world to support and have capacity building, that is what we've been about since day one. So being part of this modern botanic garden allows us to start afresh and we've always worked towards those goals here. Yeah, and we've also got, uh, broadly speaking, in common speak, a sort of green aim. We've tried to be sustainable in places. We've not always got it right, have we? We've got it, made some blunders with it, but we've got some things right as well. So we're trying to, I think, as a charity, trying to make a better world. Yeah, is that fair to say? I would. I mean, all botanic gardens and all museums that we know, they've always had a rocky start because there are these institutions that you need to build from the ground up and they're never an easy thing to do. So even if you go back to the early days of Kew, you know, it took one vote in Parliament that could have seen Kew completely disbanded. 
Um, the Royal Botanic Gardens Edinburgh had a rocky start. You know, if you think about the some of the big galleries and natural history museums in London, you know, they had to go through decades to become established. So we are actually on a good path. We're doing really well after 20 years. We're getting to financial sustainability and we're starting to see our collections used more and more. We're starting to see our collections turn up in academic journals and we're starting to see our work being publicized in magazines around the world. And we're really building an international reputation for our work and really championing the flora of Wales and what Wales can contribute to the world's conservation efforts. And when you look at the world here, the, um, I think a really important thing that I like to see is that we're part of an international community here of Botanic Gardens. Can you say a little bit about that as well? Yeah, of course. So Botanic Gardens, I mean, Bruce, you have been to quite a few Botanic Garden conferences. You've met yeah. people around the world. You've recently been to China. Yeah. So it's really nice that we are working together. So Botanic Gardens are not in competition per se in any way. We are all working together and we can do that because we do have that common aim of developing documented collections for the common good of conservation, education, research and engagement with our visitors. So there's no reason for us to compete. We're all working as a global network because actually as a global network we are a huge resource for plant conservation. If we work together, if we think of our collections as a meta collection, mm -hmm. that is a fantastic resource. That's over 30% of the world's flora is held in a botanic garden somewhere. And that is a tool that we can use on a big scale. I mean, my sort of role has been public engagement. That, that's the, kind of one of the main things I've been doing. And this is also another important bit, isn't it? It's about showing people what, not only what, collecting these things together, but showing people what we've got, inspiring them to be, and then inspiring them to be interested in botany and in nature and maybe developing their own careers in this? Yeah, I mean, that's it's absolutely core to what we do. So, you know, we could do conservation and lock the gate. We could do the research and just be a university on a hill. Uh, we could do education and go directly into schools. But the thing that really stands us apart is the fact that we are a public garden. So that is a way for us to display our collections, to make sure that we can have those conversations and try and make things tangible. So for me, one of the key things I want to do when I take a party around or showing people around our collections here is I want to make plant conservation tangible. Because if you are not able to picture a rare plant, if you don't know any plants that are threatened by extinction, then why would you prioritise it? Why would you go out of your way to make sure that that plant survives? Or if you haven't been in a plant community that just amazes you, that generates complete awe, then why would you become a conservation practitioner? And if you think about it as a national effort, if we are able to get even 60% of the school children in Wales come through here to have those conversations, to really engage and really understand what plant conservation is all about, then that is our future teachers, that's our future politicians, that's our future decision makers. And that's how we start to green our society. And do you know what? Because we're going for 21 years now, it, I, and I've been here for quite a long time myself, and I really like sometimes you, you bump into adults doing some sort of work, and they said, oh, I came here as a kid. And you start to get this, and obviously, quite clearly, when we start, started, we didn't have that. So we're starting to get these sort of uh, intergenerational sort of like feelings of empathy with what we're doing. 
and uh, and you've got apprentices as well coming through, which is really important. Don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's all about establishing that culture and really making sure that our botanic garden is embedded in our community. So. My grandfather, for example, can remember going to Edinburgh's Botanic Gardens and that formed and shaped who he was and the way that he saw the world. And now here, we're starting to see our apprentices, but some members of our staff who came here when they were students. We're starting to see people in the Zenith who have come here as part of a school group. So that is really important for developing that community around us, but also influencing the way that people think. And the more people that we can bring through our gates, the more people that... Bruce can engage and the rest of us can engage and really inspire, and that's part of our mission too, to inspire people to really have that connection, the better. And the more of our society that we're able to influence, again, that has this kind of nice rolling effect, doesn't it? We're able to have a greater voice across Wales. Yeah, I mean, uh, the great thing when you physically work somewhere, you can... um, you bring in a school group, for instance, and we get something up. Forget about COVID. Before COVID, we had about 15,000 or so school visits a year. And I know when those uh, children come in, they come, they're mainly the younger children. We have secondary and we do have some degree people coming through. But I think we give them a good time as well. So we, they enjoy themselves and we get them to touch and smell and feel and uh and to experience nature, which you just cannot do in a book, can you? And I'm sure during lockdown, a lot of people have been really missing all this sort of thing. And I think this is so important for having institutions where people can physically visit and to learn things and to learn things in a fun way. I think it's really important. I do too. And I think that's what we can offer. So if you think of the Botanic Garden as more like a museum than maybe some other public gardens, you know, if you think about the trips you had to the museum when you were at school or maybe you went to an art gallery when you were in university, you know, it's, it's making sure that people have these memorable experiences. So that can be through enjoyment or just different styles of learning, maybe multi-sensory learning. So you remember that smell, you remember that touch. And that's so important now, particularly for people who are learning about biology. So if you have university students for them to come and see plant diversity firsthand, to walk through the double wall garden and see the different plant families, that is a completely different style of learning. But it's actually more inclusive of people who have different styles of learning. It is able to reach people and it's really able to embed those memories and those understandings because you're, you're dealing with those plants directly. You couldn't do a PowerPoint presentation of what we have here and have the same value. We are a living library of plants and we're here to help people learn. Do you know what I think one of the modern uh, advantages of today is um, adults come here and obviously they go on our, our walks or they come on our talks or whatever. And um, I've seen people sometimes think they think they should know something and don't say it. But as a but we, I think we have quite a friendly way of delivering all this. And so, and hopefully when people do come here, they actually can say, oh, I don't know. Because I, I, personally, I'm not, I'm not omnipotent. You're not omnipotent. None of us are omnipotent, are we? But we're all here to learn. So I, hopefully adults, when they come here, they can go away and having learned a little bit and actually felt good about it rather than like feeling intimidated. I reckon that's a bit different from Botanic Gardens possibly 40, 50 years ago when you thought you maybe you need to know all the Latin names or whatever to even come in. 
I think I think the, the way we present that is different. Would you say? Yeah, I think so, and that reflects in how we are kind of positioned as a modern botanic garden. So. You know, if you're coming here for an event or you're coming here just for a tour, we also think about those kind of passive learning experiences. So you may just pick up a little bit of information on the way on just an enjoyable day. You may have just read one or two of our interpretation panels. But if you're just learning a little bit, if we're just developing that consciousness of plant diversity, of the environment, of biodiversity in general, then that is a really important thing for us to do. Even if we're having those small conversations, that's a really good way for us to advance our causes here in Wales. There's quite, um, so as, as a horticultural team, how many are on your team at the moment? I can't, I can't keep up. So we have uh, 18 members, but that is covering a large area. So we are one of the larger gardens in Europe, which has its advantages, but also has some uh, drawbacks too. Yeah, but you know, and we have people who work in our science centre as well. And what I really like is everybody seems to have their little thing that they know about. And I love that sharing of information uh, because people are really passionate about uh, orchids or they were about... Uh, grasses or, or or even just the uh, the pollinators that come to them and I think that uh, I think you the staff that you have or the people associated with you also help to mold your own botanic garden so what do you what would you say from yourself will that you what is it what is it that you particularly bring to here is a one particular passionate area that you really feel good about that you're passionate about? Yeah, I think so. So one of my personal philosophies is when we are recruiting and building the team is that it's really important that people feel passionate about what they're doing but also feel their work is purposeful because what we're doing here is is really purposeful. It's something that is creating a better future for us all. It's creating a better future for our generations that will follow. And that's something that we try and communicate to everyone who joins us. And horticulture, and doing particularly botanical collections like this, relies on people to have really specialist areas because we have to have that depth of understanding of that particular plant group. They're all really different, and that's, uh, that's part of the joy too. I think what I bring to this organisation and part of my role, my time here has been, is to um, advance the botanic gardens. So... My background, I've got a background in various botanic gardens around the world, some that are very old, some that are quite new. And uh, I think that the botanic garden here in Wales has always had an incredible potential and value to the people of Wales. So if we're able to be the, the champions of plant diversity, if we're able to be conservation practitioners working up and down the country, and we're really able to communicate the values of what a botanic garden can bring to people, the people who become members, but also in communities and uh, in schools, then I think we have a real asset. Because for me, growing up, that's what the Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh was in my life. You know, it was a real asset to me. It helped me to learn. It helped me to see the world. And it shaped the way that I see the world today. And I think that if we can have that experience for so many more people across Wales, we'll have a stronger community of plant conservation practitioners, of biodiversity-informed citizens, and I think that is a better future for us all. Yeah, that's lovely. I mean, I have my interest. I love it. I do a lot of fungi here, and I love the fact that more people seem to know about fungi now. Uh, and But I'm also aware that as a botanic garden, um, the focus is on horticulture. 
We have a really strong science here as well. We've done an awful lot of uh, research work into DNA barcoding, for instance, and lots of work in pollinators. I think we've got a really good reputation on that one. I love it when we, I see us popping up on the BBC website as one of the head lead stories. That's fantastic, I really buzz out of that. But as a botanic garden, we are, of course, are a, a larger community of people who have to maintain it for visitors. So we have a catering team, we have our public services team, like our, our people do admissions, um, we have our facility team, people keep it clean and, and in good order. Um, I think, do you think it's a good idea that we do podcasts which actually include people from all aspects of what we do here? Yeah, of course. I think that botanic gardens are very complex organisations and they're often misunderstood as we alluded to in the beginning because, you know, we're not a commercial entity. We are here as a charity and our charitable work relies upon, you know, our, our catering team, our admissions team, uh, the tickets to the price of the door and we are able to reinvest that in, in conservation. And I think that's the great thing about a botanic garden that uh, Bruce alluded to there with all the great work going on with pollinators and with fungi. Because the botanic garden, the plant collections, are really just a platform. But that is able to support a, a vast array of other biodiversity too. So if we're able to kind of focus on managing the plant collections and our National Nature Reserve as a horticultural team, then there's secondary value within that. So we start to see the fungi, we start to see the the birds, we start to see the, the fish in the lake. And that's uh, that's really exciting to us that we're able to encourage further biodiversity across our estate. And, uh, you know, again, as we've been, uh, been open for 21 years, there's certain new sort of trends coming over the time and uh, that, that kind of ally themselves with the work that we do. And well-being is a big issue that's come up over the last few years. And I'm noticing more and more people, particularly when we opened... Uh, last summer, after our first lockdown for COVID, we opened up. And we just got like a crazy amount of people coming through the door, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, you tell me about your your experience in your own garden. You know, how does that make you feel? It makes me, uh, I, oh my God, if, I, if I'm stuck indoors, if, once I go outside, I immediately smell something. I like this, the, the feel of the air. I, like, I hear the buzz of a little bee going past. I notice the colours on the garden, something or other will draw me over. Um, and before I know it, I've, I've, an hour's gone by and I've, I've just sort of like not really sure knowing why and I'm feeling good. And it is what it is about, being outdoors, being in connection with nature, there's something good for you, isn't there? Yeah, well, that's it. So Bruce has just demonstrated that he's a perfect example of a biophilic practitioner. Right. So that's someone <laughs> who has developed an idea about how to really engage with them and has the opportunity to engage with their environment. So if, if we're able to channel our consciousness, if we're able to kind of switch off from the, the emails and the anxieties of the world and really connect with the natural surroundings that we have, then that is really important for our well-being. And, you know, if we're honest, there is people who don't have access to that kind of green space. We yeah. have a dearth of biodiversity in some of our urban areas. So if we're able to help people, facilitate people to find green space around them, um, learn those just basic techniques to really connect with the green space and, and be conscious of the, the biodiversity that's around them, even just to look at the plants and see them growing day after day and look at the, the insects and the biodiversity around them, 
then I think that's going to have a huge impact on people. And particularly during this pandemic, being able to have those skills that Bruce just described has really helped people and has become this disparity between those who can connect with nature and those who can't. So as the National Botanic Garden of Wales, you know, we're keen to work with communities around the country to make sure that people have community gardens, to make sure that our Growing the Future teams are reaching people who have never gardened before, because we are really keen to make sure that everyone has that same access to that biophilic response. Yeah, and we've got, we've got two big projects on the go at the moment. One of you mentioned there was Growing the Future, which has been uh, a really, really impressively um, successful project to try and get people growing things, not just horticultural, not just horti- not fruit and veg, but all sorts of things as well. And that, that's gone really, really well. And uh, we've also got a, a parallel uh, project called Biophilic Wells. The word, the word is very much in fashion. But I've really enjoyed that and that because I, I can see that a lot of they're bringing biodiversity to places and towns that might not have benefited before, like hospital grounds and things. But I know that again, in between COVID, they did a, they tried to get people to grow their own wildflowers, didn't they? And they've been utterly overwhelmed. They've given given out uh, growing packs, and I think if we did, we sent if we tried to get people to grow their own wildflowers, probably four or five years ago. We tried to do a campaign here, but we probably quite chuffed if about 50 people took part. But they've had over 6,000 people, haven't they? Yeah, that's incredible. It's just crazy. It's great. There's obviously a real need out there. And maybe that's, maybe COVID has stoked that up. But I think they might have even started the project before COVID. So there is a need. Yeah, I mean, that kind of alludes to something we touched on very early in the conversation was um, what is the role of a national botanic garden? And for me, if we're talking about the journey of botanic gardens from physics gardens to colonial gardens to what they are now, I think the next big step is to become real social assets. So as a national botanic garden, we're keen to work across the country, work with communities. We're not just a destination. We are someone that can go out and reach other people in other places. So we have the Growing the Future team working in Swansea, in, in Cardiff and in North Wales. And that's a really important role for us. Because we realise that not everyone can make a day trip here and our garden is just one part of what we do. Because as a national institution, we're just keen to champion biodiversity across the country and we've got lots of different ways to do that. So the two projects mentioned is a really good vehicle for us to get out and about, to meet new people and to really engage people in our work. Do you know, another sort of COVID response, which is a, I'm not sure would ever happened if it wasn't for COVID, is we do webinars now. And um, we've, we've, we've linked in, for instance, with the Centre for Alternative Technology and the National Library of Wales and um, Plant Life. So we've been working with other organisations. Get And we do kind of like these webinars, and you've done them, haven't you, Will, as well? Yeah. And the, the reach we're getting with them is ridiculously high, much higher than we ever would have had before. I'm always knocked out by it. absolutely love it. Uh, clearly, what we really want to do is get people to come here or if they can't get here, at least go out to their own local area and enjoy whatever is good, their local garden, their local nature reserve, but even their local their own lawn and their own flower bed. This is uh, this is really really exciting, um, and I think this year, for instance, I'm, I think we should be we're going to plan to do some like live webinars from inside the botanic garden. So again, for people who can't quite come in. So again, we. We're also trying to adapt here, aren't we? There's always new technologies, there's new things. We have to be really alert. 
which is um, uh, comes with challenges as well. But I think generally we're up for it, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. We're doing some great things. I mean, we have members of our team who you'll find them up in the Great Orm conserving some of the, the rarest plants in Wales. You'll see them in in Cardiff, you know, speaking to people at flower shows and you'll see them at community gardens in Swansea. So as an institution, you know, we obviously have our headquarters here in Carmarthenshire, but we're reaching across the whole country. And if you see our engagements, you know, we've got them all mapped out and it really does cover the whole country of Wales. So that is, as a botanic garden, being able to have that social impact is really important to us. And it's really important in the way that we want to engage with people going forward too. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we've just about done our half an hour there. Okay, well, that flew by, so we'll have to do it again sometime. Well, we will indeed. And, and, and uh, what I'm going to try and do is uh, I'm going to aspire to do weekly podcasts. Yeah. And I'm going to work my way through uh, different members of staff. It might even be volunteers, it might be trustees, who knows? It might even be members of the public. But um, I'm gonna st- my next port of call will be James Kettle. And you've worked with James ever since you've been here. Like, just, just so people know, who, what, what, what role does James do? Uh, so Mr Kettle is the supervisor of the horticulture team, so he is very much the man on the ground leading the horticulturists in their uh, quest to cultivate plants for conservation research, education and display. So yeah, that'll be a fantastic conversation. Where will I find that conversation? Um, <laughs> you'll find it here on the website and many other, yeah, many other locations. Thank you, Will. Thank you.